If you're scared to ask for money, you'll never make money in real estate, period. Before we get started, I want you guys to go register now for the free webinar training on this topic. Go to bit.ly slash creative financing webinar to register now. That's bit.ly slash creative financing webinar. I have now done over $100 million in real estate transactions over the last 10 years and counting, going from a real teen mom with one daughter at the time, wholesaling and door knocking residential pre-foreclosure properties, to now national real estate investor with five children and four businesses, buying and selling residential and commercial properties. And I want you to do the same. So let's do it. Hey, 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 everyone. Welcome to today's episode of the Realty Talks with Taiyi show. This is your host, Taiyi, and today... I am going to talk to you guys about how to spot good subject to deal opportunities without being an expert on this strategy. And I'll do more of a like a live Q&A style show today for you all. But first, I have to let you know that today I had a great day. It was super productive. I got so much reap search done. I got a lot of intel on market metrics and a new market that we're going into. I locked up an eight unit apartment building deal. I am just on fire. I feel like Alicia Keys when she was like, this girl is on fire. So I know I do not know how to sing like her, but let me tell you guys, that is the current state of my reality. Okay. So I Wanted to just let you guys know that one of the biggest takeaways that I had today is I definitely need to be able to work four to five hours before or no later than 11 a.m. to just get my day out of the way because that is when I'm more and most productive. Anything after 11, 1130 is pushing it. But if I am not done with the critical thinking, the problem solving, the hard stuff kind of of the day by then, I'm toast. I'm done. Okay. So for you guys, you might want to try that four to five hours a day. If you have to, that just means 7 a.m. to 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time since I'm in California, but you might want to try that to maximize your productivity. So with that said, let's get to today's show. So I have been receiving a lot of questions from people, including you all and our Investor Answer You students on the different scenarios where subject to deals would actually work and when would they actually work best. So I'll just say that I know in my own experience and what I talk a lot about, which is the pre-foreclosure market and the pre-foreclosure scenario, which seems to be the most common where these deals are getting done. Now, That doesn't mean that you cannot use them in other scenarios as well, because we do all the time. But I know that's the most common scenario where I've used it in the past, even just starting out a whole decade ago, right? So second to that, I would also say it has been with probate scenarios. So I'm going to just pick the top three best questions that I can see on my radar that we're going to um, go over with a live Q&A, like I said, style earlier um, that we've received these top three questions I'll choose out and really give you guys my answers to these questions live right now in hopes that it helps to kind of demystify this whole topic or just even, you know, make this 
topic of doing subject to deals a lot more clear since you might have same or similar questions. So the first question that I have here, this one is from Eli in Florida who's asking this question. What are the common scenarios where sellers don't have options and subject to strategies would work best? So first off, great question, Eli. Thanks for asking. And know that this question is actually super common. And here's what I would say to that. Well, a lot of the times the seller doesn't have options. So you can get more creative right? So if there's an equity, any equity in the property, or you can create equity in the property, for example, one thing that's happening a lot right now is banks are open to settling the second lien mortgages. Meaning when you call a second lien mortgage holder, let's say in this example, it's Bank of America. And let me even give you an example and throw out some numbers so you guys can really follow me, okay? So let's say there's a first mortgage with Bank of America with a $200,000 balance, and there's a second mortgage on the property that is with Wells Fargo, and that one has a $100,000 balance. So that total, 200 plus 100, that's $300,000 in total mortgage debt and maybe the property is only worth $280,000. And that means that, that there is a big second mortgage on this property for $100,000. Now, the seller in this scenario, let's just imagine, is late on their payments to both the first with Bank of America as well as the second with Wells Fargo. Well, what do you do? In this case, the first position is actually in what's called a quote unquote protected position, which just means that their lien, their debt is collateral against the property. They're protected. They're not going to lose that. So if the property is worth $280,000 and the owner only owes uh, $200,000 to the first lien holder, which is Bank of America, we're saying, that first mortgage lender, B of A, is not going to take a short sale most of the time. They're not going to accept a short sale in that scenario. Instead, they're going to expect that the second take that hit. So in this scenario, it'd be a great situation to actually settle the second lien with Wells Fargo instead of doing a short sale. Right. So you could even get the seller some cash possibly out of this strategy, which is another benefit to them doing the deal with you if you actually settle the second. Because a lot of the times the bank isn't going to want the seller to get any cash whatsoever. So what you do is not to negotiate a short sale, but instead you actually call the second mortgage and just let them know that the seller is in trouble that they have maybe tons of credit card debt, a lot of other outside debts that you know of, and even a lot of other outside issues that are happening with them right now personally, right? So they're even thinking maybe about declaring bankruptcy, you wanna say, and then you ask if they're open to a settlement option for their second lien mortgage. Understand though with this that what I'm talking about here is for settlement options. You're not working with the short sale department here. No, you're working with the settlement department. There's a huge difference, okay? 
So a lot of the times you may be able to actually settle the second for let's say $25,000 if the debt on it is 100,000. That's 25% settlement, okay? Now, if you do a full short sale, oftentimes you'll get a deeper discount than the settlement, but this would be still a great situation where you actually settle the second, you pay it off, but you don't call the second mortgage in this scenario, Wells Fargo, and say, hey, Wells Fargo, the property is actually being sold. No, that's not what I'm saying for you to do here. Just like you would negotiate credit card debt, you're just calling on behalf of the seller, the seller's in trouble, here's the situation, and here's what we're doing. We're, we're, we're willing to offer you a settlement. Are you open to it? Okay. And the bank won't always be open to it. So only on certain deals will this strategy actually work, but this would still, like I said, be a great subject to situation or scenario. Now, remember, a lot of people have a first mortgage that they're actually behind on payments on and only a first mortgage. And in that case, it's not going to be a good subject to deal because a lot of times there's no equity. But if there's a first and a second and we can get rid of the second, then we can basically buy this property subject to just that first lien mortgage. In that scenario, you would just bring it current. So we would settle the second at $25,000 in this example on a $100,000 lien. And that lien then is taken off of the property for that second mortgage and we bring the first mortgage then current, okay? Now, maybe in this scenario, they were behind three payments on their first mortgage and then the payoff of that mortgage would be like $205,000 for the first. But remember, we're not paying it off completely. We're buying it subject to. So we're only having to come up with maybe about $5,000 to bring the current, the, the mortgage payments current on the first mortgage, then we rehab the property and sell it within the next maybe three to six months or less, usually, depending on the scope of work, right? So in this scenario, it's a good way to actually approach it. You can, it's a very creative way to actually approach this as well. So you can even get the seller money because remember, we're not doing a short sale on the property anymore. Instead, we're actually buying the property subject to the first lien mortgage. We're taking care of or settling the second mortgage, rehabbing the property, and then selling it to pay off the first. Okay, so therefore, our total cost basis on this property is like this, okay? It's currently worth $280,000. We're in it, okay, we're in it in this deal with $205,000 dealing with the first, and we're also in it for $25,000 with dealing with the second, which brings our total so far to $230,000. So we're in this deal at $230,000 and maybe we give the seller, let's say $5,000 to relocate, which is now $235,000 that we're all in. And it's worth $280,000, right? Right now in its current as is condition before we even renovate it. 
And once we renovate it within the next three to six months, when we're ready to resell it, it'll be worth $350,000 once it's all fixed up. That would be called the ARV, the after repair value. Okay, now that's a real scenario, you guys, that has happened when we bought it subject to recently when they're in pre-foreclosure, the homeowners are in pre-foreclosure, right? There are people that actually have equity in their property, but they are personally in the pre-foreclosure status with that property. So what we do is we can go in just like you can and buy these deals subject to their existing mortgage debt. On, on the first lien. So it really all depends on the debt level to the value level as to what you're actually going to be doing. Okay. So if you guys need a second to pause, go back, rewind this, feel free to do so. I really, really want you guys to get this. If you need to make notes on even the hypothetical um, of the real life case study that I just gave you real numbers on, that would probably benefit you and be helpful as well. So go do that. Okay. Now, subject twos will also be great for if people have really kind of banged up properties that aren't going to qualify for retail financing or what's also called conventional financing or even traditional financing, meaning financing through a bank, okay, which is another great scenario, right? For example, the property, if they were to list it on the MLS, the multiple listing service, there's no retail bank like Bank of America isn't going to make a loan on the property because the property, you know, has a roof that's shot or there isn't a heating system in the property or the, the pipes are burst or whatever it is, right? That scenario is going to have to require the owner to actually sell it to an investor because the property does not qualify for conventional financing from a regular bank, okay? So just let me summarize real quick those three types of pre-foreclosure properties that make good subject to deals are number one, where the sellers ha uh, who have a large second mortgage, usually over a $100,000 loan balance on the property, that you can settle for about 25% of the existing mortgage balance on that loan, okay? Number two type is where properties that don't qualify for conventional financing because they're really banged up or in bad shape. And number three is properties uh, that I mentioned with equity that are not foreclosed yet, but there is a first mortgage on the property um, that you still have to deal with and you'll buy that property subject to that first mortgage. Does that make sense? I want you guys to leave me a message or a comment down below here in this episode and really let me know if you are getting this, okay? Because it's super, super important and it can be gold for your investing, especially during times of recession, okay? Now also, if you want more in-depth information on subject twos, we actually just did part of this training series two weeks ago with our Investor Answer You students who we really walked them through step-by-step step a case study of an actual factual subject to deal we did. And they did a lot of role-playing as well with clients when they're sitting down with their own sellers, the students I mean, okay? It was excellent. So if you go to bit.ly slash creative financing webinar, that's bit.ly backslash creative 
financing webinar and register on that site for the free webinar training, that does not have replays, okay? But you will be able to click and register for that free training in depth just on subject to buy itself, okay? Another thing that I want to mention is I'll be talking soon about lease options and a little more on owner financing as a creative financing strategy as well. Um, I'm just going to dig in a little bit deeper though today to give you guys a few more real life scenarios and questions. And when I've used these exact strategies for subject to specifically in our own business. Okay, now let's go to another good question that I see you guys had for me. Let's see here. Okay, so we have Katrina, Katrina from North Carolina, who's asking if the seller doesn't have a time frame to sell, should you still mention that you have limited funding or rather limited time frame for your offer to be valid? Great question, Katrina. And my answer to this question is, there's much to actually think about here, right? But the first thing that pops into my mind is that you really need to find that motivator, that hot button, okay, of the seller or basically the reason that they need to make this happen now, whether it's time that they need or money or their own personal situation, okay? It could be a divorce or it's a vacant property and it's getting vandalized. You need to figure out what that is, okay? Because it's not always necessarily a time frame issue they need to sell, but there may be other factors that you need to uncover. So my answer would be yes. Even if the seller doesn't have a time frame to sell the property in that they give you, you should absolutely still always mention that you have limited funding or rather limited time frame for your offer to be valid before it expires basically. Okay, so there's an expiration to your offer. Now, you may be asking, why would we do this? Okay, and that is because you always want to create some sort of sense of urgency for them to act right now and make a decision now. Okay, you're not backing yourself into a corner by any means by putting this time pressure on it. Maybe their price is realistic, right? But their time really isn't that big of a deal to them then you let them know that, right? You, you have to let them know at the end of the conversation, if they say, hey, Tai, I actually got another offer. I can tell you that right now, just being completely honest. Well, you know, I don't know what to do right this second. I'm going to think about it because I'm not ready to sign a contract right now. So with that response from a seller that you will get at some point, you can do a couple of things here, okay? You can say, I'm willing to leave this offer on the table for the next 48 hours, but after that, I'll have to pull the offer, okay? And you leave them with that and you pause. Now, you hearing this might be thinking, Tai, why in the world would you say that? Okay, and I have an answer. It's because I know in that time frame, I'm gonna hear back from that seller for sure. So I'm more than happy to let them actually think about it for the next 48 hours. And they usually do. And they usually get back to me. They'll even say, you know, in response to that, they'll say something like, sure, I'll call you back. And if I do find out beforehand, then I'll actually call you back and let you know what I or we, you know, if they're dealing with a spouse, we decide. If they're not motivated, though, 
then they're not going to call you back usually. But that doesn't stop me from actually calling them back maybe three weeks later and saying, hey, Jill, Jack, or John, right? I'd be willing to re-entertain the offer I made you on your property a few weeks ago. Would you still be interested? Okay, so that way it doesn't box you in, but you have to have some sort of urgency for the seller to make a decision now because you don't want your offer just sitting out there. Otherwise, the business won't get done. So again, that's a very, very good question and I'm happy, I'm happy that we answered that one. Now, I'm gonna ask this next one actually because I want everyone to take this in, seriously. We get asked this so much, especially by new students coming into the IAU program. Okay, there are a lot of questions about partnering or JVing deals and things like that. So here's the question that I usually see most often. And that is, if the property is owned free and clear by the owner, should I work out a strategy to potentially split the profits with that owner or that seller? Okay, now my answer for this is definitely no. By rule of thumb, by default, no, okay? But in general for you guys, it really should depend on the situation and it can be done, right? It can be done, but I'll tell you, there's a lot of pitfalls and that's why I would tell you no, which I 100% believe is the best answer, especially if you're just getting started with getting comfortable with this type of subject to strategy, okay? So first, let, let's say the seller actually has equity in the house, okay? And if, if, if they're in a desperate situation, never, by rule of thumb here, okay, here's a helpful tip, never get into any equity split where you're adding value to the property unless you have an attorney that's going to represent the seller and that they know, the seller knows, all of the terms of the deals, including the risk, okay? Because the, that type of profit share with the seller can be very high risk or even problematic to partner with sellers in general. So the answer, the majority of the time, is going to be no, not to do that type of setup. Now, what I will say though, and that is that in a situation where the seller is represented, right, and there's a level of sophistication and no desperate need on their end, let's say they own this eight unit apartment building and just does not have the money to fix it up. Well, in that situation, there's still an investor, right? It's just that cash is tight right now for them. And in that scenario, you could actually enter into a contract where you're buying at a set level and they're going to get a certain percentage of the profits after you're done, right? When you close. Now, you have to have every T crossed, every I dotted, and really make sure the seller is represented, okay, by an attorney preferably, and understands that they're in this situation then yes, I would entertain in that scenario, that type of scenario, that profit share structure, okay? Now, what happens is you'll get into some type of equity skimming situations where people have gotten in trouble in the past where they did it with a seller in pre-foreclosure and they did what's called a lease back. After they sell the property, they lease it back 
to the seller. Okay. Now, only if you have an attorney representing the seller, and it won't be a great situation most of the time on these single family residential house properties with a property where the owner is in pre-foreclosure or even a probate situation or something like that. Does that make sense? So it, it just, by default, just err on the side of caution, especially when starting out and just don't do any type of profit shares with sellers on subject to deals or any type of lease back options with them. And in all honesty, if they own that property free and clear, truly, probably the smartest solution if they want to receive more profit would be for them to just go down the owner financing road instead of subject to, okay? Because that way it's a win-win for both parties at that point, right? Now, let's actually um, talk about, before I end this episode, you know, something that touched me today. And I actually heard it from my nine-year-old daughter when she said, um, today in our homeschool here at Genius University. So I hope it will actually help really drive this point home and motivate you guys as you work on your own deals and really get out there and get out of your own way, okay? Because that's what keeps a lot of us back is overthinking it and being too analytical, right? Being overwhelmed, overwhelming yourself at that point by all of this analysis paralysis or really thinking it won't work for you or work in your market or whatever else the thousands of other things you can probably come up with to tell yourself and be thinking as to why this may not work for you. Okay, when you get those thoughts, I want you guys to think of this quote that my nine-year-old daughter just reminded me of, which was, just because a man lacks the use of his eyes doesn't mean he lacks vision. If you don't ask, you don't get. Now, if you guys don't know that quote, it's by Stevie Wonder. Okay, so on that note, I want you all to get out there, get out of your own way, get into the marketplace to really practice what you hear on this show that I preach and teach about, especially when it comes to these subject to deals, which are truly the only way to invest in real estate when you're just getting started. That is also 100 percent recession proof, Okay, is doing subject to deals, period. Okay, so at the very least, I hope you really understand, even at a very high level overview of the main points that I gave you guys today, with my hope being that it adds value to you, your life, your portfolio, and your real estate business. Okay, so please let me know down below in a message or in a comment. Let me know what your thoughts are on this episode, your main takeaways, or anything at all that you want to share or want me to clarify in a future episode. I am here for that. Okay. So have a great day. And for tomorrow, for tomorrow, if you really need help deciding on just one main thing to focus on, be productive with and get done no matter what, no questions asked, let it be maybe posting free ads to Craigslist or other classified online sites and joining free social groups like Facebook groups and Yahoo groups about real estate investing as the topic, okay? That's where you'll find me as well. Investor Queen is my free Facebook group and I encourage you all to go and join that right now as well. 
So on that note, that's all you guys. I'm out. If you like this episode, please, please do me a favor, like, share, subscribe to my channel and to this podcast, The Real Tea Talks with Tai, so that you can be instantly notified when new episodes are published. So you stay ahead of the game with always up-to-date information that you can immediately execute and apply to your own life, your business, and your portfolio. Okay. So until next time, stay happy, stay healthy and build wealth. Are you interested in learning more about how you can apply these same principles and strategies to create or enhance your existing real estate investing business as well? Well, register now for the free webinar training at bit.ly slash creative financing webinar. That's bit.ly slash creative financing webinar for more tips, tricks, and support along that path so that you can learn the process and prosper. Until then, tune in to the next episode. Bye.